Lord, as we come to this scene where Jacob is all alone out in the wilderness and, and uh, Lord, he's afraid, he's, he's tired, he's weary. Uh, and Lord, as we're going to see today, he's not alone. He's in the very place that you ordained for him to be years before he was ever there. And Lord, that you're going to reveal yourself to him and you're going to make these wonderful promises to him. And Lord, what we want to learn from this text today is that you treat us in the same way that you treat Jacob and the same promises that you make to him, Lord, you've made to all of us who know you. And uh, Lord, so we just, we just ask today that we that just are blessed by this text, Lord, most of all by the meaning of this ladder that Jacob's going to see, this Jacob's ladder, Lord, something that uh, uh, we all need to, to be aware of and, and, and understand because it has such wonderful implications for all of our lives. So I ask that you teach us what you would teach us today by the power of your Holy Spirit, And I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, I love the story of Jacob's ladder. And that's where we're heading today in Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse number 10. It's it's one of those great spiritual nuggets in the Bible. You got to dig a little bit to understand what it means. But but uh, for me, it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. It has so much rich application for all of us uh, who know the Lord. Uh, and if you don't know the Lord, it's one of those stories that will certainly make you want to know the Lord. Uh, in our last study, when we left off, if you remember, Isaac and Rebekah had sent Jacob on his way. He was running for his life from his brother, but he was also going to the land of Haran to, to find a, a bride. And he was all alone. And, and uh, he was 75 years old. He was a grown man. Uh, but this wasn't going to be easy because he had lived pretty much a sheltered life and now he was on his own and he's all alone. But yet he's not all alone. He's going to find out in our story today. So let's join him in his journey uh, beginning in chapter number 10 of, of Genesis 28. It says there, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now so he's... He heads out on this journey, and he goes about 70 miles. He's going to end up in Bethel, which is about 75, I mean, about 70 miles north of Beersheba. So, so the journey probably took him two to three days. I'm thinking two days because I think he's running for his life. I think he, he's afraid that Esau is trailing him and that Esau is going to kill him. And so, so he's, he's running hard and uh, riding hard if he's on a camel or a horse, but he's He's making the journey pretty quick. And so uh, he ends up in, in, in north of Jerusalem. There wasn't a Jerusalem then, but in that area north of Jerusalem where Bethel was. And so he came to a certain place. I want to stop right there for a minute. I mean, to Jacob, he came to that certain place by chance. But there wasn't any chance with God. This was a detail in God's eternal plan for Jacob, something he had planned for Jacob to be in that very spot on that very night. He planned that before the foundation of the world. He had arranged Jacob's life and he had arranged the life of his forefathers in such a way that Jacob would be at that certain place at a certain time and with a certain purpose. 
And that certain purpose was to encounter none other than God Almighty. And it's the exact spot where Abraham landed and he built an altar to the, God, to the Lord after the Lord had made him those great promises. So he's in that very spot where Abraham had met the Lord too. And so he goes on and it says, And he stayed there all night because, he stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place. Now that very well might have been one of those stones that were part of the altar that Abraham had built. And you got to see that he's really tired because he, because he took one of those stones and he put it under his head and he laid down uh, in that place to sleep. Now you got to be pretty tired if you're going to sleep with a rock for a pillow. So, but, so he fell asleep. Uh, so then when he falls asleep, verse number 12, it says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder. Here we see Jacob's ladder. A ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on this ladder. Now, So we know the ladder is really wide, and we know that it's really high. It's wide enough, if you can picture this, it's wide enough that the, you, he can see the angels, lots of angels, myriads of angels, ascending and descending on this ladder. And we know it's awful high because it reached all the way to heaven. But it's probably not as high as you might think. A lot of people see heaven, the heaven where God lives is the third heaven is what we're speaking of right here. A lot of people see that heaven as a place far beyond our universe. And I've told you this on several occasions. I don't think so. I think heaven is almost right in our very midst. You remember when Jesus ascended to heaven. He didn't get on a rocket ship and take a long journey into outer space and way past to the end of the universe and on up to heaven. He immediately ascended to heaven. When Stephen is being stoned, you remember how Stephen can look up and he can see Jesus standing at the right hand of his throne, at the right hand of the power of God. And he, he can, and he can hear the voice of Jesus. And so heaven is really, really close. I personally believe heaven is right in our midst. It's in a, another dimension. And sometimes God opens our eyes, or in, on certain occasions for certain people, he has opened their eyes so that they can look up and they can see heaven. And so Jacob sees this ladder and it's going up to heaven, not so high. As you might think, again, as I said, uh, and he sees this ladder, and lo and behold, he also sees the Lord. He sees a theophany. Look at verse number 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and, of the, and the God of J- Isaac. The land, now he begins to give him the Abrahamic blessing. He's going to pass that down to, to Jacob. In the first part of the blessing, he says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you. Now, how do I know that this is a theophany, that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you how I know that this is a theophany. Because he says, because it says here that the Lord stood and the Lord said. In order to stand, you've got to have legs and you've got to have feet. In order to speak, you've got to have a mouth. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And listen to how he describes himself. He describes himself by saying, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. That same name that in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses met the Lord in the burning bush, when he saw the angel of the Lord, the theophany in the burning bush, 
he asked the Lord, what is your name? And the Lord says, I am who I am. And if you literally write that in Hebrew, and depending on which vowels you use and how you pronounce uh, the first letter of that name, it's either Jehovah or it's Yahweh. It's the same name. But what it means is, I am who I am. And so he says, I am the Lord God. I am Yahweh Elohim, Jehovah Elohim. I am who I am. And so he sees the Lord in this body and he says to him, he says, I am uh, Jehovah Elohim. I am the God of your father, your, of Abraham, your father. Now he refers to Abraham as his father. Abraham was actually who? He was his grandfather. Why does he call him his father? Because Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of all of people who uh, come to, to the Lord through faith. And so he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and I'm also the God of your physical father, Isaac. And then again, he gives him the very first part of this promise, and he says to him that, that uh, I'm going to give you the land which you lie, I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to give to your descendants. So this is that promise, the portion of that promise that refers to the land. That's the part of the promise that we don't inherit. We don't inherit because we're not part of physical Israel. But that promise is an eternal promise that belongs to the physical children of Israel, to the physical children of Jacob, to to Jacob's descendants. Uh, That's the land of Israel. And as I said last week, there is no such thing in the Bible as replacement theology. Israel has not been replaced by the church. The church is part of the spiritual Israel. We are the spiritual Israel. But we are not the Israel that inherits the land. Uh, Jacob's physical descendants inherit the land. And then he gives him, in verse number 14, he goes on with his promises and he says, Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. Again, talking about the nation of Israel. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the nations or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he, so he ends this portion of the, the, the covenant by uh, giving him the, the greatest promise of all. And that's the messianic promise that he gives him. I mean, it's a great messianic promise. Which, what, and what he says here, he says that in your seed, in you, is going to come through you, is going to come the Messiah. Through your seed is going to come the Messiah. The one who will come, he doesn't tell him that. But we know who the Messiah is. We know that he's Jesus Christ. And why did he come? He came to die for our sins so that we could know the Lord. So that Jacob could know the Lord. Jacob didn't know it at this point, but without the Messiah, he, he, the Lord wouldn't even be speaking to him at this very point. So, so, so he gets this vision and he actually gets the vision of Jacob's ladder in the context of this messianic promise. And then in verse number 15, he makes four wonderful promises uh, to Jacob. Listen to what he says. He says, and I'm talking about promises that you'd want to hear. If you were out in the wilderness, your head on a rock all alone, thinking your brother was out to kill you, in a wilderness where you might be getting eaten up by beasts, uh, the skies are dark and, and you're scared and, and, and you have this dream, and then you get these four promises, very pertinent 
pertinent promises to the situation that Jacob was in. Maybe the situation you're in today, or you you will be in one day. Listen to what he says. The Lord says to him, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you and I have until I have done what I have spoken to you. So there are four promises right here that he gives to, to, uh, to Jacob. Look at these four promises again. He says, he says, I am with you. He says, I will keep you. I will bring you back. And I will not leave you until all I plan for you, all the plans I have for you are fulfilled. I'm going to be with you from now on. That's what he's saying. So look at that first promise right there. He says, I am with you. Who's with him? The great I am. None other than the Lord himself. Uh, uh, And he's going to be with him forever. We're going to see that later on. I mean, here's Jacob. I mean, he feels all alone at this point. I mean, uh, he he left his mama, poor little mama's boy. Uh, He's out in the wilderness and knows mama there to to help him along uh, with his situation. But one much greater than mom is there. The great I am is there. And the, mom, and, and, and the Lord says, hey, I will be with you. You don't need your mother. You don't need anybody else. I will be with you. And now look at that second promise that he gives, gives him. He says, I will keep you wherever you go. And what, what did he mean by that? I'm, I will keep you wherever you go. It meant that he would, I, the Lord was saying to him, I will watch over you. I will protect you. I will guide you wherever you go. And then now look at the third promise that he gives him. He says, I will bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. I'm going to bring you back home. Now that was a promise that Jacob really needed to hear. Because no doubt the Lord knew that in Jacob's, Jacob's mind at this point, Jacob was thinking, okay, I'm going to make this trip to Iran I'm going to pick me up a bride, and then I'm going to come back home. It's probably going to take a few months, and by the time I get back, then, then uh, 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 my brother Esau won't be mad at me anymore, maybe, and everything will be okay. So he's thinking in his mind he's going to be there a few months on this journey. Actually, he's going to be there 20 years. And so that's a promise that he's going to need to hear. That's a promise that he's going to need to hang on to for a long time. For 20 years, he's going to need on, to hang on to that promise. That one day, that one day that God is going to bring him back home to the promised land. And then uh, you look at this uh, fourth promise that he gives him. He said, I will not leave you until I've kept all the promises that I've promised you. And so what the Lord was doing here in sort of a cryptic way, he was telling Jacob that I will never leave you or forsake you. Because all of these promises that he gives to Jacob are eternal promises. And so they're not going to ever be fully fulfilled. They're going to keep being fulfilled throughout eternity. So he was never going to be alone. So, so I mean, again, look at, look at what he tells him. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I've done everything that I've spoken to you. Now, here's what I want you to see next. The Lord makes these same four promises that are given here to Jacob in verse number 15. He makes these same four promises to all of us, to every one of us who are children of God. 
I mean the first promise. Go back and look at this text again, uh, verse number 15. The first promise is, and, and we know this, that the Lord will be with us wherever we go. I mean, as believers, we know that the Lord is with us wherever we go. Our, old, our hope is this, Christ in you, your hope of glory. We are the very tabernacles of God. And so wherever we go, the Lord is with us. I don't care how lonely we feel, how weary we are, how much we want to quit on life. God is with us wherever we go. I mean, we can bank on that, uh, that the Lord will be with us because he dwells in us. In fact, if the Lord is not in you, then you're none of his. I mean, Paul says it very clearly. If the Spirit of Christ is not in you, he says that in Romans 8, chapter 9. He says if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you are none of his. So we know that we're his. We know that the Spirit dwells in us. We know that we've been sealed with the Spirit. I've said this on many occasions. If you don't know that the Spirit of God dwells in you, you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. So you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the Spirit of God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And so uh, Christ is always with us. Look at the second promise that he gives right here. He says, he says the Lord will keep us. The Lord will keep you wherever you go. The Lord's going to keep us wherever we go. He's going to guide us. He's going to protect us. He's going to watch over us wherever we go. Let me, one of my favorite psalms, it might be one of yours too, but one of my favorite psalms is Psalm chapter 34. And, and I've got a favorite part of one of my favorite psalms, and that's what I want to look at for a minute. So head over to the psalms. Look at Psalm 34. Jump down to verse number 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who revere him or fear him. Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He's the angel of the Lord. And he encamps around all those who fear him and he delivers them. Uh, What's it mean he encamps around us? It, It means that he watches over us, that he guides us, that he leads us, that he protects us. And then he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Who are his saints? Those who trust in him. We're his saints. There is no want for those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Any good thing. I mean, we're told in Psalm chapter 37, you could flip over there, but let me just read it to you, that all the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord, and the Lord delights in their way. In other words, he delights in guiding us. He delights in getting us to our destiny. He, he, he delights in protecting us. And, and, and he's always with us. And he's always guiding us. And he's always uh, with us to get us where he wants to, to get us. And he will keep us wherever we go. Because wherever we go is where he wants us to go if we're children of the Lord. And we're letting him lead us. All right, then go back to, to Genesis chapter uh, 28. 
And look at the third promise here that that uh, is made to to Jacob. The third promise is that I will bring you back to this land. Well, that Lord, the Lord has made that promise to us too. One day, He's going to bring us back to the promised land. That's what it meant to Jacob when he said, I'll bring you back to, the, to this land. He meant, I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. You're going to go away for 20 years. He didn't tell Jacob that, but the Lord knew that. You're going to go away and you're going to live in a foreign land for 20 years, but I'm going to bring you back to this promised land. And that's exactly what the Lord says to all of us, that one day he's going to bring us back to not the promised land of Israel, but to the promised land that he's promised us. And that's the heavenly Jerusalem. Go with me over to John chapter 14 for a minute. When Jesus was about to be crucified and his disciples were all distraught and, and just like Jacob, they fell all alone. They were in this, this wicked city, this Romans, this city that was ruled by Rome, uh, this city that was going to crucify the Lord. And they, they were going to be uh, like sheep that scattered uh, everything you know, it, it seemed like their whole world was going to be turned upside down and that, that uh, this was the end. And, and so the Lord prays over them and he, he gives them these words of comfort. And I want to pick up in chapter 14 of John and look with me at verse number, verse number 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. I mean, you understand what he's saying? He said to his disciples, I, I know you feel alone. I know you feel like you're going to be forsaken by me. I know you feel like you're in this godless wilderness and, and, and uh, uh, trouble's coming. But let not your heart be troubled. You know, we live in a godless world, a wicked wilderness. And the Lord says the same thing to us. We're his disciples. And he says to us, let not your heart be troubled. And he goes on and he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to you and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you will be with me also. And where I go, uh, you know the way you know, and you the way you know. We know where he went. Where did he go? He went back up to the heavenly Zion, which is what he has promised the land, the promised land that he's promised all of us who are who are born again believers. And we know the way. What's the way? Well, Thomas said, "Hey, I, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way." And Jesus said to him. He, He didn't tell him exactly where he was going at that point, but look at what he tells him in verse number 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, the way that he shows him is the same way to heaven that Jacob was being shown in his dream. The way that he was being shown, the only way to heaven is that ladder that goes to heaven, Jacob's ladder, and that Jacob's ladder is none other than the Son of Man himself. How do I know that? Well, flip with me over to the, stay in John, and flip with me over to the first chapter of John. 
And here's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, too. Jesus had been baptized. Uh, uh, John the Baptist had, had pointed his disciples to, towards Jesus. And uh, Jesus had called Andrew and, and John and Peter uh, to be his disciples. And then I want to pick up in verse number 43. Pick up with me in verse number 43. It says, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. We found who? We found the Messiah, the one of whom Moses wrote about uh, in the law and also the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Now we know what, most of you know what happens next in the story, but, but and, and Nathaniel's going to, you know, say, man, who are you to, you, you, you're from Nazareth, you can't be the Messiah. And you can understand why he was skeptical. Because to the Jew, the Messiah was some sort of Superman. And, and, and uh, uh, they're telling him that they found the Messiah uh, and uh, he is uh, from the city of, of Nazareth, and so uh, of course Nathaniel's going to be skeptical because he, he, you know, he felt the Messiah would be some sort of superman, not some ordinary man from Nazareth. So in verse number forty-six, Nathaniel said to him, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And Philip said to him, "Come and see for yourself." Uh, and and so Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said to him. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, no guile, no pretense. This guy was a, what you saw was what you got. Uh, he was that kind of person. And so Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? I've never seen you. You've never seen me. I mean, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that's pretty amazing. And it's pretty amazing that Jesus, this man from Nazareth, who didn't look like a superman, could actually have seen Nathaniel under the fig tree. Now, what was Nathaniel doing under a fig tree? Well, he wasn't picking figs, I don't think. Jesus might would have said something about that. I saw you picking figs under the fig tree. No, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And he wanted him to understand that he saw him under the fig tree because there's no doubt what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, he was having a devotional. He was reading scripture and he was praying unto the Lord. And I have no doubt the scripture that he was reading was Genesis chapter 28, the, uh, beginning in verse number 10 through verse number 15, the very scripture that we're looking at today. And he was meditating on that scripture and he came to this passage about Jacob's ladder and he didn't understand what Jacob's ladder was. And so he was asking the Lord, Lord, what is Jacob's ladder? And he prayed that. And then all of a sudden, Philip comes up to him. He says, hey, man, you got to come with us. You got to come with us. We found a Messiah. So they take him to Jesus. And Jesus says, he says to him, he says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, I know that's what happened because look at Nathaniel's reaction here. Nathaniel answered him and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel because only God could have seen me under that fig tree and have known what I was doing. 
and you did. And Jesus answered him and said to him, because I say to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Hey, you're going to see greater things than these. Let me show you one right now. I even know what you were praying. So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon who? Upon a ladder? Yes. But who is that ladder? The Son of Man. So here's what the Lord's saying to Nathaniel. You prayed and you wanted to know what Jacob's ladder is. I'm going to tell you. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the one whom, who the angels uh, ascend and descend upon. The Son of Man. Now, can you imagine at this point, if you're Nathaniel, and you're Philip, and you're Andrew, and you're Peter, and all of a sudden you come to this realization that Jesus is none other than the great I Am, that He is Almighty God. I mean, they had to be stunned. They had to be in awe of the fact. I, I think John and Peter, to some degree, had seen some of the things that Jesus had done up to this point, and so so they weren't as amazed as Nathaniel and Andrew were, but they were, and Philip, but they were all amazed and. Uh, because they were standing in the very presence of God Almighty. And I don't know what they did. The text doesn't tell us. But I know what they should have done. They should have fallen on their faces. And they might have fallen on their faces and worshipped him as none other than the Lord. Now, I remember years ago when I was, hadn't been saved very long. And I remember I came to this passage and I came to the to the realization of what this text meant right here. To the realization that Jesus Christ himself saw Nathaniel praying. He knew what he was praying. He knew the questions that he had in his heart. And, and I remember putting my Bible down and worshiping the Lord. I don't know if you ever do that. Where you come to a place where, boy, the Lord just speaks to you clearly in his word. Where he just reveals a text to you that you've never, that you've read, no telling how many times and you've never fully understood it. Then one day he, the light comes on and he shows you what, you're, uh, what you didn't understand. And you know it's enlightenment from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord himself. I got to tell you, that, that, that makes me want to worship the Lord. It makes me want to put my Bible down and just pray and thank the Lord that He cares enough about me that he wants to answer my question, that he's involved in my Bible study, that he's involved in my prayers, that he wants to answer my prayers, that he sees me when I'm praying, whether I'm under a fig tree or I'm in my closet or I'm in the, in, in, uh, at my desk studying. He sees me and he knows what I'm doing. He sees everything we do. He knows everything we do. He knows every thought that we have. And when you come to that realization that that's who God is. I tell you what, it, it, for one, one thing, it puts a healthy fear of God into your heart, but it also causes you to worship the Lord. It also causes you to, to do what Paul says, to pray without ceasing, ceasing, to be cognizant of the fact that the Lord is always with you. The Lord is listening to every thought that you have. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we're to take every thought captive to, to, to Christ because Christ is in us. He's never going to leave us forsake or forsake us. He is with us all the time. So uh, 
let's go back to this ladder, this subject of the ladder. So Jesus tells him and tells us and, and, and that he is the ladder that the angels are descending and uh, ascending on. Now, does that mean that they literally ascend and descend on his back? No, not at all. What it means is that uh, he's the one who directs and empowers uh, the angels to do what they do. And what do they do? What, what do angels do? I mean, there's all sorts of theories out there about what angels do, but you don't have to uh, have a theory. The Bible tells us exactly what angels do. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that the, the angels are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who is that? Who's going to inherit salvation? You and me. We're the ones who are going to inherit salvation. So those angels are sent by the direction and power of the Lord to minister to us. That's the picture that's being painted here in Jacob's ladder. So here's Jacob on this starry night. Maybe it was a dark night some 4,000 years ago. And God was showing Jacob and he's showing all of us that we're never alone, that we're not alone, that at the very least, we have angels who descend and ascend back and forth from heaven to earth in order to minister to us. And so whenever you do encounter an angel, how many of you in here have encountered angels before? Raise your hand because you probably have. You, you, you probably have. You just don't know it. But one day when you do encounter one and you know, hey, that was an angel. Well, uh, don't worship the angel Worship the one who sent the angel, the Lord himself. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 28. And let's look at this fourth promise. He says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I will not leave you until my plan for you is complete. That's the same promise the Lord makes to all of us. The Lord is never going to leave us until he's done with us. Until his plans for us are totally complete. See, here's the problem. You, you can believe that the Lord is with you. But then you're going to think sometimes he's left you. You can believe that he's going to look out over you wherever you go. But then there's going to be times where... It seems like he's not looking out after you. Times like you're all alone, that you're not really getting any help from the Lord. And then you can also believe in the sweet by and by that one day the Lord's going to come get us and he's going to take us back to the promised land and we're going to live with him forever. And then we're going to come back, or we're going to live with him during the wedding supper of the Lamb and come back and rule and reign with him on this earth for a thousand years and then we're going to go back to heaven and we're going to live with heaven's going to become earth and we're going to live with him forever you can believe that but that's still somewhere in the sweet by and by so the lord puts a timetable on all of these promises this last promise and that's why it's so important to understand and truly believe this last promise listen to what he said he says i will not leave you until my plan for you is complete. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So no matter what situation we're in, if we'll come to the point where we really believe that, that the Lord is with us 
even if we're in a pit somewhere of our own doing, that Lord is still with us in that pit. If, we'll, if we're, you're truly a born-again believer, and you'll truly believe this, it's going to help you get through those really difficult times. See, the promise that the Lord was making here to, to, to Jacob is the same promise that he gives up to us in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What's never mean? Never. I will, if you're a born again believer, the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, how could the Lord say never? I mean, why would he say never? Because these four promises, as I said earlier, are eternal promises. God's plan for us is an, is an eternal plan. So God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He won't forsake us in this life. He won't forsake us in death. In Psalm 23, we're told, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Even in death, God doesn't leave us. And if he doesn't leave us in death, he's certainly not going to leave us in life, and he's certainly not going to leave us in eternal life. I mean, his plans for us are never complete. Never. I mean, his plans for you aren't complete in this life. They won't be complete when you die. They won't be complete in the millennium. He has plans for you in the millennium. He already knows what you're going to be doing in the millennium. And then when we go into eternity, you think all of a sudden the Lord forsakes us at that point? No. We dwell in the bask in the glory of the Lord at that point. We know the Lord's presence. We see the Lord's presence at that point. There's no doubting the Lord at that point. But in this life now, we doubt the Lord. We come to places where we don't feel that the Lord is with us. But the Lord promises If we are born again believers, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Do you believe that? I wonder sometimes. I I wonder sometimes just talking to people if, if they really believe that. I wonder sometimes in my own life if I really believe that. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I feel forsaken by the Lord. But see, it's impossible to please God without faith. Those are the times that God brings into our lives that where we get an opportunity to show the Lord that we trust him and that we love him. That no, we don't sense that he's with us. We don't sense his presence, but we know that his word says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he is present in our life. No matter what we do, no matter how bad we are, the Lord will not leave you or forsake you if you're a child of God. I don't care what you've done. He hasn't forsaken you. You never lose fellowship with the Lord. You might lose the sense of fellowship with the Lord. And you don't, have to, you don't sit down every day and confess your sins in order to get fellowship with the Lord. There's some people that teach that. Well, good luck with that. Because you miss one thought that you had and you're not going to be in fellowship with the Lord. You would never be in the fellowship with the Lord if that was a requirement. Well, certainly I believe in confession of sins. I believe that we're to agree with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, George, you shouldn't do that, I say, Lord, you're right. And then I should, my reaction should be to repent. But the Lord never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He has eternal plans for me. And I can always, if I, if I really believe that, I can always find joy and peace in whatever situation I'm in because I know the Lord is with me in it. And it's for my good. And I'm going to get through that 
situation. I mean, let me, as we finish up here, let me ask you a question. I mean, did God show Jacob this ladder and give him these wonderful promises because he was a good fellow? No, he was a rascally rabbit. I mean, he was the worst of the worst. As his dad said and Esau said right, at the, right before he left, he's a, he lives up to his name. He's a deceiver. He was a deceiver. He was an evil, wicked man. Did he deserve God's grace? No, he didn't deserve God's grace. Did he get God's grace? Yes, because it is grace. Why did he get God's grace? Because he found favor in the Lord. Remember Noah? Why did Noah was a righteous man? Why was he a righteous man? Because he found favor in the Lord. Abraham was a righteous man. Why was Abraham a righteous man? Because he found favor in the Lord. Isaac was a righteous man because he found favor in the Lord. Jacob was a righteous man for one reason only. And that's because he found favor in the Lord. If you were to go to heaven today, and one day we will, at the wedding supper of the Lamb, we're going to sit there at a table with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what Jacob is like today? He is absolutely perfect. He is living an absolutely, perfectly righteous life. Because of what? Because he found favor with the Lord. That's why. The only reason why. What kind of favor did he find? He found the favor of faith. Faith is a gift of God, not a work lest any man should boast. You have faith? Let me tell you where that faith comes from. It comes from the Lord. You can't say you're better than the other people out there who don't have faith because the only reason you have faith is because God gave you faith. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to have favor with him. Faith, Jacob found faith. He found favor that would save his soul. But as I said earlier, he was a sinner every bit as much as Esau was, maybe even more. And his sin had separated him from God. A great gulf was an eternal gulf. Even though in distance it might not be that far, it's one we could never cross. An eternal gulf, because of Jacob's sin, existed between earth and heaven and between Jacob and God. And that for Jacob to be saved, that gulf had to be breached. And how was it breached? It was breached by Jacob's ladder. The same ladder that the angels ascend and descend upon is the same ladder that saves our soul. Let me tell you what kind of ladder it is. It's a wooden ladder. It's a wooden ladder in the shape of a cross. And nailed to that ladder is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that ladder, none of these promises would would be ours. None of these promises would be Jacob's. They were Abraham's promises to receive and Jacob's promises to receive because they had found favor in the Lord. Jacob didn't know it at this point. But one day that Lord who spoke to him that night at Bethel, one day that very Lord would die on a cross for him and breach that gulf that existed between heaven and earth, between God and man. 
between Jacob and the Lord. And one day he would be saved. It's the same ladder that saves you and me. It's the same ladder that allows the angels to ascend and descend and to minister to the saints. We got a lot to be thankful for. The Lord has been really good to us. Thank you for Jacob's ladder, Lord. We want to thank you in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all you've done us done for us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you especially for, for that cross that breaches that eternal gulf between sinful man and a holy God. Lord, we have Jesus, the man on earth, and Jesus, the divine God, who is our ladder and we just thank you Lord for who you are and what you've done for your willingness to to die for us to show us favor to give us your Holy Spirit Lord so that one day all of these promises that we've looked at today Lord will be ours Lord those promises that we looked at today that are ours now Lord the fact that you are with us that you will never leave us for or forsake us, that you will guide us and watch over us and keep us, Lord, throughout this life. Help us to realize those promises, Lord, so that we can find the joy and peace that you have for us all. Lord, all of it comes through Jesus Christ, our Jacob's ladder. And we just thank you for him and thank you for your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.